0: Hey, I'm Chris Martin, author and creative director at Moody Publishers, and you're listening to the Local Youth Worker podcast from Reformed Youth Ministry. One, two, one, two, three.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by RYM. I am here with Chris Martin, as you just heard, and Linda Oliver. Uh, Chris, how's it going?
0: It's going well. How are you guys?
1: Doing well. Doing well. And uh, it's funny because... Linda's right here. We've recorded a podcast just a few hours ago, so yeah. it feels like we've just kind of been sitting here already talking. But welcome back, Linda. Good to have you on. Yeah.
2: For the listeners, it's probably felt like weeks, right? I'm back. Hello. Still doing well. <laughs> um, Chris,
1: I'd love for you um, maybe to give us a little bit of an update. It's been a little while since you've been on the podcast. Um you know, it seemed like the last time I had you on, I was encouraging our our listeners to follow your sub, sub stack and keep up with you. And I think after we recorded, you said, hey, just so you know, I'm probably taking a little bit of a break um, from, from the sub stack. Um, but we'll get into that uh, in, in just a minute. But why don't you just quick update life, what you're doing?
0: Yeah, I don't remember the last time that would ever episode I recorded was aired probably sometime in in the summer or something like that. Um, Yeah. I
1: don't remember either.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I published, published. It was probably around, we probably recorded around the publishing or the, yeah, the publishing of my latest book, which is the wolf in their pockets that came out in March, April of this year of 2023. Um, And uh, yeah, so that happened. It was great. Summer was good. Uh, My wife and I welcomed a second baby girl, Daisy in September. So we have a three and a half year old daughter and a now two month old daughter. And so um, that's been great. you know, I uh, being a parent is awesome. Parenting is not always very fun. and we are definitely in that stage of life right now where we have a three teenager through and through and she's brilliant and she's learning very quickly and her reasoning skills are scary good. Uh, but, Uh, but she's three and she doesn't care. She wakes up at 6 15. She doesn't care how much you're up in the night with the newborn. So um yeah, just learning how to be a parent of two and uh it's been really good. And um earlier in in November I became creative director at Moody Publishers. So though I'm not a an artist, a graphic designer or anything like that, um, I am charged with uh leading all of our graphic designers and overseeing all of our cover design and and creative. Copywriting and all of that kind of stuff, and so that's a new role, and I'm I'm uh, onboarding to that still, and it's been really fun, but it's overwhelming to step into anything like that. But I'm really excited to lead that team, and it's been good. So yeah, that's a, just a little bit of like personal stuff. Um, like you alluded to, I'm stepping back from writing as much as I was. I'm still reading four or five articles on social media stuff every day. Like I'm still ingesting a lot of stuff about the world of social media and how it's affecting us, but I'm not spitting as much out about it as I used to. I I really wanted to take some time, A, because I knew we were having a second girl and keeping up my schedule of writing was going to be really hard. And B, I've wanted for a long time to just try writing different things. And maybe some people could write a weekly newsletter and experiment with writing other fiction or things like that. um, Other creative writing endeavors. I cannot. So I said, Hey, we're going to have to press pause on the newsletter indefinitely while I work on some other projects I've wanted to work on, but simply haven't had the time or frankly writing kind of creative energy to do. And so that's, that's what's going on. And, but, uh, but yeah, sometimes things happen and you're like, all right, I got to press unpause on this thing for a bit and we'll, we'll get yeah. back into it. So.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, no, thanks for that update. And yeah, that, that's a good segue for sure. Because you did post a new, uh, sub stack and, uh, a new article in your sub stack. And I got it, you know, in, in my email and I thought, Oh wow. Okay. I thought Chris was taking a break. And before I even had time to read it, someone else forwarded it to me and then it seemed like somebody else. And you know, it, the title obviously catches your attention. Um, the, the title is Instagram addicted your teenager because she's worth $270 to them. Um, you know, usually when we're talking about a book, I start with a title. Uh, what was it? And it's, I guess, somewhat obvious. But what was it about this that made you say, okay, I've, I'm going back to to writing something um, today?
0: Um, the first thing I thought of, so actually, like, this is how, uh, how unable I am to disconnect from this world as much as I maybe want to. Uh, We stayed home in Tennessee for Thanksgiving this year because we had a a seven-week-old baby and didn't want to take her all-around family quite yet. Um, And we'll be going back to our homeland of Indiana in just a few weeks for Christmas. And so we we opted to not make the seven-hour trek up to our our home for Thanksgiving. And so we stayed home this year. So we had some downtime on Thanksgiving, just watching football, eating food and all that. And I found myself looking at social media, and I saw someone – Post that, hey, late last night on Thanksgiving Eve, Meta unsealed some documents, some some formerly redacted information from all of these lawsuits that came from all of the state's attorneys general who are suing Meta for um, how they have neglected the mental health of their users for profit. And. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, and frankly, I did a lot of googling on this, and I could not find like why Meta decided to unseal this stuff. I'm guessing they had to yeah. at some point. I I, probably, I don't know. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I don't. It's like why would you ever even unseal this? But I think <laughs> I think I'm guessing they had to at some point. So when better for an organization, a company like Meta, to unveil, like pull back the curtain on all their nastiness, than the night before. A major holiday when nobody will be paying attention to it exactly and so i'm scrolling on twitter and i see a guy who covers social media tweeting out screenshots with highlighted portions that the highlighted portions are the stuff that was redacted and is now available to see and i went through the thread where he shared like 20 screenshots of of previously unknown quotes and things like that from meta employees among documents I had already read, but obviously I would not seen the redacted stuff. And naturally, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, this is all so terrible. Because it is. My second thought was much, I am a parent now of two, uh, and we, especially with our three-year-old, are having to navigate some of these waters now where it's like, I'm, I, this is the second thing I felt after, oh, my gosh, this is awful. My second thought was, yeah, I'm really sad that you did that, but I'm even more sad that you lied to me. And, and that, like, it, you know, a little bit of this is like personal to me, not, not as personal as it is for some who maybe have had their own mental health hurt by using these platforms. But like, you know, I've been writing on social media for a long time. I've written two books about the perils of social media at this point. And I've gone on countless podcasts like this and tried to make the case that, social media isn't just passively bad for us and especially our teenagers but i think we have reason to believe that these com- some of these companies the biggest one meta in particular is actively making decisions to harm teenagers because those decisions also not because they hate teenagers let mm-hmm. me be clear but because those decisions also lead to increased profits so it's not i've i've long said something to the effect of Meta routinely intentionally makes decisions to choose profits over mental health. It's not just like a passive thing like, oh, we're really sad that our app also makes people feel bad. Here are some ways we can try to mitigate that or stop that. I think they willfully, I have long said, they willfully make decisions to to choose profits at the expense of mental health. And a lot of times when I've said that on some podcasts or radio shows, I'll get looked at or responded to, like, I'm from outer space. Like, really? Like, like, well, like, I'm peddling, <laughs> yeah, like, I, like I'm peddling some kind of conspiracy theory or something, which if you aren't paying attention, that does sound kind of conspiratorial. I mean, because it is right. A conspiracy is any collective effort to cause harm. Uh, a conspiracy theory is a theory about people who are collectively working together to cause harm. Um, and, and so seeing this, There have been other clear evidences of it, but seeing this, I was just like, finally, like I feel so vindicated personally. (laughs) Like we have out of meta high ranking meta people's mouths. Yeah. We recognize that this is bad, but man, it's so valuable. Like it's so profitable. Um, paraphrasing, but so seeing that, I was like these little punks, like not only did they say these things, In classic Facebook meta form, they drop it on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving and, like, try to slide in under the radar. And I'm like, I felt a moral compulsion. And naturally, and I don't knock media companies for not covering this on Thanksgiving Day or Black Friday because they're all out trying to enjoy, you know, like, whatever and enjoy the holiday with their family. It's not like there was no coverage of it until, like, I saw some Sunday into Monday. And I was like, "Well, shoot! Like, I got to do so." I almost sent out the newsletter on Thanksgiving. I wrote it on Thanksgiving Day. Again, this is how <laughs> pathetic I am. Um, but I almost said out on Thanksgiving. I'm like, yeah, nobody's gonna pay attention. Um, so I was like, I really feel compelled to shine light on this because I Facebook is trying to. Not only did they do these things, which is bad enough, they're trying to hide the fact that they did them, and I can't let that happen. So that's why I kind of pressed unpause and decided to write some more.
1: Yeah. And then that's exactly why I reached out to you to say, Hey, do you want to record a podcast? Um, because so, you know, all those who are out there listening to this, uh, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know, we talk about technology pretty regularly, um, because it's a pretty dominant uh, aspect of, of youth culture. And so please parents, youth workers, listen to this. Um, the, the fact that, instagram has has admitted this uh you you know i mean tried to conceal it it's now out there um i mean i'm going to link to this in the show notes to uh chris's Substack, so you can read for yourself his commentary but then also the documents that have been released but please don't don't just let this be kind of white noise because we've talked about this before um this is something that we want to shine a light on uh I know we're going to take a break before too long. Linda, I'd love for you to jump in just to, you know, as I reached out to you of, Hey, you want to jump in on this? And you saw Chris's, uh, sub stack, maybe some other stuff. What, what was your kind of initial reaction? Any thoughts related to this?
2: Mm-hmm. I think, um, I missed the like subheading that you have at the top, which reveals this part. But as I was reading through it, Um, When I got to the part that talks about how meta literally um, studies adolescent biology and neuroscience um, to figure out how to addict them like it's talking about we're trying to gain valuable insights to inform our product strategy. When I got to that part, I was like, that bothers me the most. They are literally studying what motivates teens and how their brains work so that that can change the way that their product addicts people.
0: Yeah, it's it's awful. And I think I didn't offer for anyone who goes and looks at this. I didn't offer a ton of commentary to like. Frankly, I let a lot of these documents just speak for themselves. Um, I just kind of segue to each one to summarize. Hey, here's what's being said. Here's what's being said. But I think toward the end, I, I wrote. I said, "Um, in the war for the mental health of teenagers, it is parents versus the best paid, most brilliant computer and behavioral scientists in the world, and parents don't stand a chance." And like, that's the biggest thing for me is I've worked in youth ministry. I spent I spent 14, uh, no, like 15 years in student ministry. I just, I started when I was a freshman in college working with middle schoolers until this past spring, I stopped serving in student ministry for the first time since I was in college. And so I've spent plenty of time in student ministry. I've spent plenty of time talking with parents who are upset, seeing how social media is affecting their children and they feel powerless. And it's because they are like, there's really only so much when you're a parent, who marginally understands the apps and you're going up against a behavioral scientist who could theoretically be counseling a kid who's going through all of these issues, but is being used perhaps to addict the child to these things. It's like, I mean, it's why I I know a lot of people, there are a lot of divisive and heated opinions about this kind of thing. When you get talking about the government involvement in this kind of thing, but it's why I think the government has to step in and do something because like, this isn't a thing where it's like, well, parents will just figure it out. It doesn't matter. Like, I understand this stuff as well as any parent out there. I can say that without sounding be trying to be prideful. Like, I understand this stuff as well as anyone, and I'm already nervous about what to do when my daughter turns eleven or twelve or thirteen. Like, I I don't know, and I am <laughs> I am as equipped as anyone. Um, and so it's where like we need laws passed. We we need some stuff. Like we need them to throw the hammer down on meta for this stuff. So I just, I, I feel so bad for parents who have already walked this road. And then those who are a few years ahead of me who will soon. And then those who are my age or have kids that are my age and still see like, yeah, this is maybe a decade off or a little bit less. And I'm, I feel as ill-equipped as anyone, but I should be among the best equipped. And so I think it just shows like the chasm of how I don't how I don't know how anyone expects parents to do this well,
1: and I'm really glad you're saying that. Um, and I, I'm I'm going to say it so you don't have to to, to come across it. Those who are listening to this, I would bet a lot of money. Chris has read more books than you and read more <laughs> articles than you, and for him to say he's concerned about this and he is one of the most equipped. I mean, it's why you're a guest on this podcast. We're we're, we're, we're wanting to glean thoughts from you because you you are so well read in this. Um, so, so parents and youth workers listening to this, um, please, uh, I want to, to appeal to you to, to be thinking, okay, what is your responsibility as a parent? What is your responsibility as a youth worker, knowing this is truth. This is knowledge that it's out there. It's released now, but not only just, you know, responsibility, but as a parent and a youth worker, I mean, responsibility as a Christian, um, there's responsibility that falls on our shoulders, we're going to talk more about that after we take this break. I know we're going to get into body image, um, uh, you know, data that's, that was released as well as bullying um, and some other things. So please stick with us as we talk more with Chris and Linda about this. Hey, everybody, I'm back here with Chris Martin. Uh, Linda is also with me as we're, we're talking about. Um, Chris's newest, um, article entitled Instagram addicted your teenagers because she's worth $270 to them. And of course uh, we didn't say that explicitly in the, the first half, but, uh, that $270 amount is referenced in some of what was released. And I'm sure we'll get to that, uh, portion. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out, um, and I'm scrolling through trying to find it again, is some information that came out about, um, body image and specifically eating disorders and, and kind of your summary. And, uh, we can get into some more specific details. It says, uh, yeah, we learned that meta did its own research and found that it, uh, led users down eating disorder rabbit holes. Uh, and they, yeah, admitted just, yeah. Anyway, that was a significant portion of time that was spent. So, maybe talk a little bit about that. Just the, the eating disorder rabbit holes and just some of the body image issues there.
0: Yeah. Um, so a a couple of the most hot topic issues regarding teen mental health and Instagram are, um, suicide and self harm, um, and body image issues. Um, namely like Young girls, teenage girls in particular, who are going to be searching for content related to um, eating disorders, anorexia, all of that sort of thing. Um, bullying is certainly a thing. we'll probably talk about that in a minute that that's certainly a thing um, but uh, suicide and and self harm and uh, eating disorders are probably two of the most common uh, issues, mental health issues that crop up when you look at Instagram mental health related research. Um, And I'll just read like, I'll just read a little bit from the actual report. This is what was unveiled by Facebook the night before Thanksgiving. In a March, 2021 internal meta investigation focusing on eating disorder content on Instagram, researchers, again, this is meta researchers, created a test user profile through which Meta's team followed existing users with account names such as starving which is it's like a few letters as number numbers as letters and all that kind of stuff but at starving at skin and bones at pretty when I'm hungry and at skinny underscore goals after the test user began following those accounts, instagram's recommendation algorithms generated a list of suggestions for you i.e recommendations of accounts that the user might want to follow based on the content that they're currently, Engaging with that included accounts related to anorexia, such as at Milky Skin and Bones, at Skinny Binge, at Skin and Bones, at Applecore Anorexic. Similarly, an internal document from 2018, three years before that, recognized that, quote, seeing SSI suicide and self injury admissions on Instagram is significantly associated with increased time spent on the platform. So a 2018 meta study that is now five years ago yes. revealed that increased time spent and increased suicide and self-injury admissions are co- positively correlated. That was five years ago, two years ago they did the internal study of the eating disorder rabbit holes, which this is just how recommendation algorithms work. If you follow a bunch of accounts related to the Chicago Cubs, my favorite baseball team, if I followed a bunch of Chicago Cubs Instagram accounts, then as I scroll through, they're going to show me recommended Cub, C- Chicago Cubs content. They're going to show me, hey, you followed these five Cubs related content. Shouldn't you follow these five more? Like I, the, the thing the thing to remember about this is these apps are not being misused to lead people down these rabbit holes these apps are being used in the exact way they're supposed to be used. Like these, these algorithms are working perfectly in that they're supposed to recommend you followed X kind of content. Well, here's more X kind of content. Wouldn't you like to follow that as well? And so this just comes back to something that I've said a lot. Um, social media is designed to deliver us more deeply from into our desires than it is to delete, deliver us from our desires. So, social media is designed to deliver us more deeply into what we want, not Mm -hmm. deliver us from what we want. Unfortunately, as you can see in this situation, often what we want isn't what we should want. And so when these recommendation algorithms work perfectly, it can deliver us more deeply into some rabbit holes of any kind of self-hurt or sin or whatever else, because that's what they're designed to do. No one's no one's abusing the system here. There's no hacker going in and trying to manipulate our teenagers. There's no you know, outside of like the bullying. There's no tampering going on. Like, no, nope, these things are just working exactly how they're supposed to. And unfortunately, when you have a teenager who is like, you know, uh, dealing with some issues and they follow they follow accounts related to those things. The these these apps are not designed to say, oh, well, we shouldn't give them any more of that because that's bad. And now we know the reason is because that would make them spend less time on the platform. They spend more time on the platform if these algorithms work the way they're supposed to.
2: So, mm-hmm. so uh, in regards to the algorithms, I'm going to assume you've seen articles about this. I noticed um, some articles about new york trying to introduce some legislation that would limit the algorithms for teens it was along the lines of like parents need to give permission for them to even be involved in the algorithms um anyone under 18 has to be the given the option to opt out of it things like that do Do you think those things are going to increasingly kind of like what's the landscape uh gonna look like from here are we gonna see more laws like that
0: i man, i hope so um I really hope we see more stuff like that. Like um, if this doesn't lead to stuff like that, I don't know what will. That's kind (laughs) of like my mentality. Like um, the problem is these companies are really powerful too. And they have entire departments dedicated to lobbying for this kind of stuff and all of that. Um, And so I don't know. I don't know. uh, Do I think – that would be a a proportional response? Of course. Um, yeah, I think, I think like that kind of thing should happen. Will it happen? Man, I don't know. Hmm. I think it it may end up being on a state by state basis, which isn't helpful because like social media, social media is not a state by state thing, you know, like we need federal stuff. I just don't know if we're going to get federal sort of cooperation around what should or shouldn't happen here. Um, and there have been a there have been a lot of bad revelations about social media in the past that have led to nothing um this is among the most egregious that I've seen uh and so I'm hopeful that it will lead to change but I'm not expectant
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah um sadly I mean they, they uh, that seems like reality and it's um you know even as we have this podcast, you know, there's part of me that just thinks, you know, there's youth workers and parents out there that just don't care about this and will kind of ignore this and um won't take responsibility for what this might mean for their own ministry and their own using Instagram for ministry purposes and all that kind of stuff. And that's something again we might circle back to. Um, again, just kind of scrolling through. Uh, I mean, it says, and this is something, Linda, you were talking about, meta studies teen biology to learn how to addict your teen to its social media platforms. meta uh, employees know they have abused the notifications function that is used to addict teens. And then something I wanted to, to zoom in on with the uh, uh, aspect of bullying Uh, meta employees know that children under the age of 13 use their platforms, but they do everything they can, including avoiding bullying research in order to maintain plausible deniability. Maybe zoom in on that a little bit for us, Chris, and kind of unpack some of what they said.
0: Yeah. Um, so if you don't know on social media, um, Virtually every social media platform that I'm aware of, but definitely all of the Meta ones, you have to say you're 13 years old in order to create an account. That is literally only to cover Meta legally. Like, they they obviously, how are they going to verify that a 12 year old isn't 13? It's the same way, like back in the day. I mean, still even today on the internet, but at, you you know you go online and it's like, hey, this is a uh, this is a trailer for an R rated movie. Like when's your birthday? And you can just like make it January 1st, 1900, like, right. Like (laughs) how do they know? Like how, you know, so a 12 year old girl can a 10 year old girl, a nine year old girl who has a phone or a tablet can go on Instagram and make an account and just lie about her birthday. Like what are they going to do? You know, as long as she knows what year she had to be born to turn 13, like the, the bar for getting on social media is not you have to be 13. It's that you have to know what year you were born to say you're 13. Like that's that's what it is. And so the reason these apps say you have to be 13 is like that's there are laws and regulations I think for can't be under 13 or or whatever. I don't even know what all those laws are, why they even make it 13. But they've decided we're gonna say you can't come on if you're not 13. Well, obviously they know people under the age of 13 use their apps. They're not because they're not dumb. But because of exactly this kind of situation, they can't acknowledge that, right? Like they can't they, – I'm sure they would love to know what the lifetime value is of a 10-year-old who uses Instagram. They would love to know that because they, they live on this kind of data. But they can't acknowledge that 10-year-olds use Instagram because that would be breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. So here, I'll just read some of what is in the document and what they unveiled – before Thanksgiving. Meta also knows that teens can opt out of default settings or change their age at any point to gain more access to different features. For example, in 2018, Meta employees considered commissioning a study of bullying on Instagram. Instagram's director of communication uh, regarding, sorry, Instagram's director for communication regarding well-being and community initiatives, Fiona Brown, expressed concern that the study's survey would go to children under the age of 13 and that Meta would learn children under the age of 13 were being bullied on Instagram. So this is like I think I have cancer but I'm afraid to go get an MRI because it might shit might shed light on the fact that I have cancer. We're just not going to go get the MRI then. Like we're just going to we're just going to let it happen. An internal like, reading back again the document. An internal meta presentation titled User Trends from 2021 revealed that Meta has completed studies on the privacy of privacy needs of tweens while building products for that target group. They're building products for people who ostensibly shouldn't be on the app. Meta possesses survey data from 2020 indicating that out of roughly 3,900 children, 22% of child respondents aged six to nine and 36% of child respondents aged 10 to 12 had used Instagram. In May 2021, Meta received external research conducted on social media platforms, including Instagram and Facebook. This research, provided by an organization called Thorn, revealed that of children's ages 9 to 12, 45% used Facebook and 40% used Instagram daily. A Meta researcher asked in 2021 was asked a clarifying question regarding Meta's youth platform study from the tween perspective in the screener, and they talked about how they're not going to ask too many questions of people under the age of 13, because They're not supposed to be on the app. But all that's to say is, to summarize, they thought about doing a study on whether or not preteens are being bullied on Instagram. But then that made them say, oh, but wait a second. That might make us have to acknowledge the fact that preteens use Instagram. So we could do that. And it could help kids not get bullied. But then we would get in trouble. So we're not going to do it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so we're talking about addiction. We're talking about eating disorders, uh, talking about all kinds of body image things. We're talking about bullying, uh, underage children using this, all of these things they know, they're aware of, they just, they don't care at all. Um, Linda, uh, react to that. Other thoughts that you have?
2: Yeah. You know, the picture I get in my mind is just, there's this giant that is manipulating and exploiting our teens and preteens for profit. And they know it's harming them, but they're trying to maintain this plausible deniability. Right. And so it's like, gosh, like, I just can't be okay with that. You know, like I, I think about how do we respond to this as God's people. And, um, it's, it's interesting. I was reading, um, the account where jesus is overturning the tables and whatnot in the temple mm-hmm. and um i know these are two very different situations um but just seeing like gosh like there's god getting um righteously angry about something where in and, and i think my understanding of some of what was going on there is there were people that were exchanging money and and making profit exploiting some people in that temple scenario right and so here we are it's not um it's not the temple in jerusalem but we're talking about um people made in the image of god and there's a giant out there manipulating them and exploiting them and they are pretty powerless because these are children teens like I should have some of the same reaction that Jesus does, but it's hard to know, like, what does that look like in action points? You know, cause I can't take mm-hmm. down this giant. Um, and so I, I just imagine that's how a lot of parents and whatnot, as we've already mentioned, are, are feel about these sorts of things.
1: Yeah. No, Linda, I think that's, that's a good point. And it's kind of, you know, I've, I've, read through um, yeah, Chris's article and here we are having this conversation. It's like, I don't have any um, just clear conclusions or action items to a lot of this. I mean, the, the first action item is this conversation. It's okay. I know I want to shine a light on this and I want to make people aware of this. And Chris, I'm so glad you posted this because I was totally unaware of it because as we've been talking, uh, it was the night before Thanksgiving. We're so unaware of this and it was very intentional when this was was released, um, but maybe we can kind of pivot into us kind of thinking: uh, what should parents maybe do? What should youth workers do? Um, because I do want to, I mean, highlight your conclusion at the end of the article. <laughs> it says this: um, Meta does not care about your children. They do not care about the mental health of teenagers. Uh, do not believe anything they say about the steps they're taking to improve or any of that nonsense. Uh, and, you know, as you said, we don't stand a chance against, you know, the, the best paid, most brilliant computer and behavioral scientists in, in the world. And so, you know, youth workers, you're using this for your uh, ministry in a lot of ways. And we've highlighted on this uh, program, uh, there, there can be helpful ways to utilize it. And so that's not a statement of shame towards you youth workers that are use it, using it. Um, it's a normal part of life where people are just kind of using it as a communication tool, uh, parents, uh, many are just throwing iPads and iPhones in the hands of, of your children, some of them being older teens, some of them being preteens. Um, I mean, there just needs to be great caution and there does need to be a wrestling with youth workers. And again, it's like, I don't even know the answer, but should you be utilizing this? Um, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, we, we can go to a coffee shop and, and minister to teens, but like, should we go to a bar with them? Um, no. <laughs> okay, well, well, can we say, well, maybe this is a platform we should just not utilize um, because it's doing something that's this harmful to teenagers. And, and we're kind of a part of the problem if we're continuing to utilize it. Uh, Chris, push back on me here. Linda, push back on me here. Help me think through this. Any other yeah, thoughts along these lines?
0: I'm historically not a boycott kind of guy. I, I think a lot of times they just make so much like smoke and there's no fire. And, you know, there's – you have different Christian groups that boycott different organizations because they had a main character in a movie who was gay or, you know, stuff like that. And it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, I don't know how much help we're all actually doing by doing this kind of thing.
1: yeah,
0: But I – I've I maintain a Facebook account. I have an Instagram account that I post to very sparingly. My life just isn't interesting enough to be taking pictures all the time. Um I recently deactivated my personal Twitter account uh because I kind of wanted to detach myself from that a little bit. Um but I have never been as someone who's long advocated for and taught ministries how to use social media effectively. I've never been closer to kind of opting out of these platforms out of a moral obligation. Again, I've written two books on the perils of social media use and how um, we need to be careful, but we can still use them. Like there's – it it's bent toward ill, but we can use it for good. Here are ways we can use it for good. That's always been my stance and that that we need to be intentional because if we get passive, that's when it can kind of take over and really start to harm us. Um, but like this is the most egregious thing i've seen like this is a bigger deal to me than like facebook in the 2016 election and that was bad because you literally had a foreign government using this tool to manipulate people to vote a certain way like that's that's like global politics big problem but like this is like a way more of like a moral issue to me like um and I, I think one of the only ways – I don't think it's – let me be clear because, again, I don't want to shame anyone either. I don't think any youth pastor or ministry or whatever who uses Instagram moving forward is sinning against God, okay? Let me state that clearly. However yeah,
1: – It's good to state that that explicitly. Yeah,
0: yeah I, don't, I don't want anyone to run away uh, with with what I'm not saying. Um, however, I think that if you're a youth pastor or is in student ministry using Instagram – or the suite of apps for ministry, this should make you stop and wonder if you should be more than anything that's come before. Like this should make us evaluate our relationship with these things more than anything that's come before. Um, Because now we don't have just a tool that, yeah, it can kind of hurt people if they use it poorly. We have a tool that from the mouths of the people who create and, and run the tool, are actively choosing profits over mental health there. And, and what I think you can say from that is are jeopard are actively jeopardizing the mental health of young people for money. That, that, that has a different weight than, Oh, this app when used too much can lead to addiction and body image issues. Cause that's kind of like you use a semi neutral tool poorly. Yeah. You, You use a hammer and whack your hand, you're going to hurt yourself, right? So don't whack your hand with a hammer. Like, don't use Instagram to get your sense of self or whatever. Like, But here, we've had inklings of this kind of thing, but more clearly than ever, we can see that the tool is built for harm. That should change our perspective on things. And it's changed my perspective on things. Now, I haven't gone and deleted anything yet or campaigned for people to delete anything. I mean, this is the first conversation I've had about this. but, like, I'm, I will probably delete my Instagram in the near future and just kind of say, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. Not like I'm doing much anyway, but like I have to separate myself from, from this. Facebook's a little bit different because I, I don't really do much on it and it's just kind of like there and I just don't see it as quite the same thing. And, and Instagram is the focus of all of this study, basically. So, but like, I cut, ca- it's a step I feel like I kind of might have to take for myself just as a sort of like, this is a line that's been crossed for me and and I don't think that everybody needs to do that I'm not uh, I'm not prescribing that mm-hmm. but I do think that um, we have something that seemed like a tool that is bent toward sin and destruction and harm and that has turned into a tool being used for harm by the people who forged the tool to begin with mm-hmm. and so that, that's, we've, we've kind of crossed the line for me. And so I don't know what all we do. I mean, I think the parent perspective, the parent posture is the same. Like if you've, this should only make you more hesitant about letting your kids get on social media. Um, Frankly, I I think um, I've always been very open-handed about like parents ask all the time, when should my kid get on social media? And I, I kind of punt on that and say, well, it's going to be different kid to kid. Mm -hmm. Every kid is different. And, And I still believe that, but like, this should only move that goalpost down the field, not move it up any closer, right? And I think not to get, this goes into more data that we aren't unpacking here, but like this disproportionately affects girls more than boys. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would be more, as a father of two daughters now, like I would be a lot more sensitive with my daughters getting on Instagram than my boys, though it can still harm boys, but girls are more susceptible as Jonathan Haidt has written about at length and I would suggest anyone go read his stuff that the way Instagram and social media in general is formed just is more harmful to girls than boys. And so, um, especially if you're a mother of a, of a father, mother, father of a teenage girl or preteen girl, I would be even more concerned than if I had a 13 year old boy. Um, but yeah, all that's to say is, um, we should hold this stuff at an arm's length as much as we ever have. And maybe we should just drop it altogether.
1: Yeah. And I wonder too, as we, you know, I've re- referred to it as a tool plenty of times. Maybe we stop calling it a tool. Um, maybe we yeah. call it a weapon. Uh, <laughs> maybe we call it a drug. You know, yeah. it's kind of uh, what we, we, it's, yeah, it, it's harmful. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. So Linda, I'd love for you to react to just kind of responsibility for youth workers, responsibility for parents, other thoughts unrelated to to any of that. Just anything that's come to mind.
2: Sure. So Uh, thinking about that idea of they are harming the weak and vulnerable um you know i just think there's such a pattern in scripture of we are called to advocate for the weak and the powerless and protect them from harm um our god is i heard someone recently say um like our our god's love is not um like a squishy love it's a it's a fierce love you know more lion like um our shepherd is not uh weak he he loves with a fierce love um and uses his you know club to ward off enemies um i don't know that could look like a lot of different things but i think that's one thing that needs to be on our mind and i think as we are um, equipping teens to go out into the world to, um, man, I I just want the church to be a place where we will say like, we are going to be a people who are not ruled by money the way that companies like this are like, we are going to call out and make clear that that is bad to be ruled by money in that way. Um, and we have to demonstrate that we are not living out of that value set. Um, They need to see that. And we want to send, um, you know, young adults out into the world that are equipped to think that way as well. Um, And then I think just when it comes to how overwhelming all of this is and, you know, the decisions about what do we do, like um, somewhat of an aside, I don't know who's seen... um, the show uh, The Good Place, is that what it's, yeah, I think that's what Mm -hmm. it's called, The Good Place. Um, One of the things that happens in that show, so it has completely wrong theology about the afterlife, okay, but it gets, and this is maybe a little bit of a a spoiler, um, in later seasons into this idea that, gosh, like, their conception of the afterlife is everything is on a points system. And so you have to have the right amount of points to get to um, the good place as opposed to the bad place. And they start realizing, gosh, life has gotten so complicated, because I'm buying almond milk, but unknowingly, I'm like contributing to something like child poverty across the world or you know something like that. And so it's just so complicated, like, how can anybody get it right? And this is kind of one of those situations. And there are so many others in life where it's like, what, like, what do we do? Like, do we have to opt out of um, every company because every company does something bad? And um, how do we make these decisions? It's overwhelming. And I, I don't just as kind of like a more spiritual pastoral shepherding thought, like, man, like let's pray, (laughs) right? Like let's look to our infinite God who sees and knows all of this and is over all of it and is bigger than all of it. Cause yeah, like, I don't know, but I know that he knows.
1: Yeah. And that's a good word for sure. I mean, absolutely pray. Um, because I mean, the, the simple answer is, um, nothing isn't the answer. Like, don't, you know, we need to do something. And and prayer is one of those things. And I'm thinking of youth workers and and going back to what Chris said too, not trying to prescribe anything and trying to guard from shame or guilt, but uh, youth workers, um, I would say, you know, pr- print out Chris's article and and go to the leadership of your church and say, hey, here's what this is. Um, we're using this in our ministry. We're using this as a church. Let, let's read through this. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. What's a wise course of action here? Um, because every church is going to be different. Every context is going to be different. Uh, parents listening to this, I mean, having a conversation in the home about this and, uh, to, to share this with your teen or preteen and, uh, the concerning aspects of it. And this is why we're going to back off on this, whatever it may be. But um, I know we're we're going to need to start wrapping this up. Chris, I'd love to kind of give you final word, thoughts that you may have on on any of this.
0: Um, And under, like, it's it's important to know that, that you can't win on your own because otherwise you'll just, you will lose all strength and all hope trying to win on your own like there's there's a reason i'm not going to be campaigning for the mass boycott of instagram facebook or whatever despite the fact that i think that might be a good idea um it wouldn't work it wouldn't do anything it wouldn't stop this it would just crop even if we could fell this company it would just crop up somewhere else like it's not going to go away so dang that stinks now that i recognize that Okay, now what do I do? Well, I just have to trust the Lord's going to work in this. I have to pray and ask for peace amidst it. I have to practically figure out how to protect my children. Um, but then ultimately know that there's, you know, I, I can't protect my children from a lot of things. Um, and so recognizing that the Lord can work through that. And, and so I think um, it's good to get fired up about protecting the weak and the innocent. And we should do that but kind of preaching to myself here, we have to recognize that that's not going to solve the problem. And we have to be okay with that. And we have to trust the Lord, maybe not to even solve this individual problem, but to meet us amidst the problem and walk us through home to the end, whatever that looks like in some form or fashion.
1: Yeah. And and like you said, it it serves as a good reminder of just our, our utter dependence upon the Lord. Um, yeah. You know, as we think about, ministry, as we think about parenting, we want to control so much for the future generation, the future of God's church, to protect them from the evils of the age and, and all these sorts of things. At the end of the day, we're powerless to do it, but we cannot do it ultimately on our own. And this is just one of those, those reminders that we need to be continually leaning upon the Lord. And Linda, to your, to your point of continually praying, asking for wisdom, being reminded of God's sovereignty. And then, as you said, Chris, as well, just kind of zooming in on our own, um, you know, sphere of influence, so to speak. If that's our individual home, if that's in in a church, because something like Instagram, you know, it's global, it's big, it's worldwide, and because of social media and smartphones, it makes us feel like we're omnipresent as well—that we can be everywhere. We've got to zoom in and just kind of think incarnationally of our own family, of our own ministries, and, and what's our responsibility. And so that that's yeah clarifying for sure. So Chris, thank you again uh, just for being moved to action on this, for highlighting this again. We're, we're having this podcast because this appeared on your Substack. I would not have known about it. I mean, maybe eventually stumbled upon it. So thank you for highlighting it. Thank you for uh, just taking the time to come on and to talk with with Linda and myself on this podcast today.